the water inside of our bodies is different than water in a glass, right? Like water in a glass sloshes around. It's like this liquid structure. And most of us, again, what, what this goes back away, away. So I don't know when the first time I learned that water can exist as a liquid, a solid and a gas, but water can also now we know inside of our bodies exist in a fourth phase that has been called many names. It's been called structured water. It's been called uh, exclusion zone or easy water. Um, it's been called interfacial water, but what you need to know about it is that the water inside of our body organizes and structures it, the oxygens and the hydrogens in a way that actually provides our body with energy. Hey, hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Tan, and I'm pumped that you're with me today. This show is all about human performance. And I've recently had a few people ask me, well, does human performance mean athletes? You, you talk with athletes, it's an athletic podcast. And I was thinking about this and it's no, the, the short answer is no, absolutely not. But the long answer is Human performance is more than just the physical. It's more than getting out for your run or doing your exercise or exercise or eating, you know, good food. Human performance encompasses so many things. I mean, we're human, right? So we have a whole lot of layers to uncover and, and human performance can be the physical. It can also be the mental. It can be the emotional, the spiritual. I mean, it's everything that has an impact on ourselves and, and, and on our performance. And for me, it's about talking with incredible people from all different walks of life and background and education to bring you the best tips and tools around how you can apply that to your life and your journey. So this podcast, I want you to be able to go, that's really cool. I, I'll be able to apply that. Oh, yes, that's what I have been doing. This is how I can tweak it. Or on the flip side, I never thought of that. That's what I'll do next or that's what I'll try. And that's what this is about. It's about bringing you the information and the tools and strategies that you can apply and explore in your own life and health and well-being and get the best from you. And all of that should probably be in a trailer episode, <laughs> but here we are. And today on the show, I chat with quantum biologist, Kerry Bennett. Kerry has a clinical practice in Kalamazoo, Michigan, working with clients to improve their health. And if you are at all intimidated by the word or term quantum biology, then join the club because that was me up until having this conversation. And what I learned very quickly well, that's not necessary because Carrie breaks down what quantum biology is and how we can apply it to our health, our well-being, and how simple it is to tweak just a few things that we already do for better or optimal health. And that's what I love about this conversation. Carrie explains the best ways to optimize our body on a foundational level or extracellular level so that everything else that we do, that being the food we eat, the water we drink, the exercise that we do, all have an even bigger and better impact because we've built strong, healthy foundations. And I'm all 
about strong foundations. We also cover sunlight and light therapy, mitochondrial health, understanding water on a quantum level, so the difference between the water inside our body and the water we drink, how we can drink all day but still be dehydrated, and how our words and thoughts play an incredibly important role in our health and well-being. And I'm so excited for you to hear the research around this. I loved this episode and we really only scratched the surface of the impact of water, sunlight and its influence on our health and biological systems. So there is no doubt I'll be speaking with Carrie again because she's absolutely wonderful and incredible in sharing this knowledge in a way that does make it easy to understand. So let's dive straight in with quantum biologist, Carrie Bennett. Carrie, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. Oh, thank you, Jackie. I'm so excited to dive in. I'm so excited. I was pumped when you said yes, you'd come onto the show, but there was also a bit of nervousness <laughs> and panic. <laughs> so I thought, I'm so out of my depth here and I'm not sure how I'm even going to go about this. But that's what I love about you and what you do in your work. You're so great at explaining I mean we're talking about quantum healing today and you're so good at explaining all of this and your Instagram is a wealth of information and I'm learning more but I'll be completely honest if there's any blank stares today you're just gonna you might have to repeat (laughs) (laughs) but I'm so looking forward to this let's start with a bit about you and your background how did you get into this line of work I didn't, I didn't wake up, you know, one day and said, Hey, I want to study quantum biology, right? It it kind of found me, um, you know, anyone who's kind of on this knowledge journey or this healing journey, at some point we reach a wall or potentially a barrier that we have to overcome in maybe traditional methods of healing. And my, my barrier, uh, it kind of, I guess there were just little hills to overcome, you know, after I graduated from college, um, I just, you know, nothing ever felt great. You know, I was an athlete kind of in disrepair. I would have joint pain and chronic dislocations and insomnia. And I just said, okay, that's what happens when you're a college athlete. Right. And, you know, over the course of the next five or six years, I became a massage therapist, a personal trainer. I did, uh, coaching, uh, certifications and things like breathing, And, um, and none of it really made me feel awesome. Like I felt good and I looked healthy. You know, you look at a personal trainer and you look at me, you're like, oh yeah, she's really healthy. Right. And, and it, I just felt like my, my energy levels should match my, my, the quality of my sleep should match all that. And then fast forward to when my first child was born about 11 years ago, after he was born, I developed the worst fatigue of my life. It's, it was this horrible combination of chronic fatigue plus insomnia. So it's like, I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep. My digestion was a mess, puffy, bloated in pain, like you name it. And I wasn't satisfied with the answer of, Oh, this is what a a new mom is supposed to feel like, or, Oh, this is what happens as you get older. Um, so like, so like any good nerd, right? Like any good nerd, I was like, I, I went on a journey and the first place I went was uh, into nutrition. I got a master's degree in applied clinical nutrition, thinking that would really move the needle. And it, it did a little bit, right? I do think nutrition's important. All these modalities I think are very important, but I still didn't wake up in the morning and feel like, yeah, like I got the energy to like, you know, rock it today. Right. <laughs> 
Um, I was just, I was still just trying to make it through the day and it was probably around two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm like on scrolling on my phone and it's like, why am I not sleeping? Why is my child not sleeping? Why do I have low energy? You know, like the journey that we go down to figure it out for ourselves. And I stumbled upon the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, who is like, a, he's a neurosurgeon and he has spent the past decade really piecing together what we call quantum biology. And the fact that, you know, the quantum world kind of used to exist in these cold, dark rooms, you know, in these very, very controlled conditions. And now we know that our human bodies are quantum bodies. And he introduced me to the concept of my body needing light on so many levels. And I started to apply it. It sounded too good to be true, but it literally moved the needle in a matter of days to the extent where my fatigue was gone. My sleep was better. And I knew I had stumbled upon a rabbit hole that I really wanted to dive down. And here I am now like <laughs> trying to spread the beauty of quantum health to the world. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing it so well. And I think that's what attracted me to you and your work, because I have such a similar story and journey in the sense that I'm also a massage therapist or also do the training part. I've also... <laughs> looked into nutrition as well <laughs> you did the master's degree I haven't gone that far but <laughs> and and now I've come across you in your work and it really is yeah it it's like it is that missing puzzle piece because it, there's so many instances where clients have come in and said you know I'm doing all of the things why aren't I feeling awesome and and it annoys me that I don't have the answer, but this really takes it, yeah, to that that next level and um, such an important conversation. So let's let's break this down. I know you said you you said with light. So let's start with light. I wanted to go into water first, but you've brought it up. Let's start with light. Why is that important? And how you know how did you go about it in your journey to begin with? Uh, you know, I mean, well, light, light's extremely important. Um, and I started applying light simply by going outside at sunrise, um, just stare, basically facing East and staring at the sky. Like my neighbors think I'm a nutcase <laughs> and, um, it, it really started to make a difference. And the reason is that, you know, light, we know, I don't think anyone would argue that light isn't foundational for life on this planet. You know, we think about the fact that we obviously know that plants use light, right? It makes so much sense that, you know, God, nature, however you want to describe it, used light for literally millions of years. And then as humans evolved, what do we think happened? They just said, no, let's reinvent the wheel, right? Let's do something completely different. It's just that we use light differently. <laughs> and so we, we need light just in the exact same way. We don't use it to make our own food like plants do. We use it to create time in our body to signal time in our body, to signal our circadian rhythm. And we use the different colors of light, almost like nutrients, uh, in, in various ways, especially in the morning to turn on certain processes, um, uh, brain uh, neurotransmitter processes, hormonal pathways. We need key light colors, key light frequencies, uh, on a regular basis to get all the pathways synced up to the day night cycle, the circadian cycle that we experience within a 24 hour period. Right. So in that morning, what are the colors and frequencies that are really important to us that we have to get it in the morning? 
Right. Per, great question because the morning is key and the way that the sun comes at us with colors is in a very predictable way, but it change it, it, it changes all throughout the day. You know, I'm sure we've all seen sunlight through a prism, right? You know, it gets shown through a prism and we see the colors of the rainbow. And then we also understand uh, that there's colors outside of the ones that we can visibly see. We have infrared above the red spectrum and ultraviolet below the violet colors. And all of those wavelengths from the infrared all the way through the colors we can see to the ultraviolet are special and important for, for human life and for life on this planet. Now, in the morning, if I were to take a fancy little meter called a spectrometer that kind of tells me what colors are present, what colors of light, I would hold it out there and I would see the light in the morning at like right before sunrise has tons of red and infrared. Those are wavelengths of light that I absorb into the water of my body. And I, my mitochondria absorb those, those wavelengths in order to optimize their function. And I'm sure we've heard the word mitochondria. I used to refer to it, you know, back in high school, it was like the powerhouse of the cell, right? It made all, it made the ATP. It does so much more than that, but yeah, we, it needs red light. So if the mitochondria don't get red photons, red light and infrared, it's almost like we're starving our, our little, our little powerhouses. We're not giving them the input that they need. So it's beautiful, right? Cause we start the day off, we get the, the red and the infrared that kind of revs things up. And as soon as the sun breaks the horizon, my meter would pick up more of the color blue. And blue gets perceived by these little sensors in my eyes and on my skin. And it really starts my timing mechanism, my time clock for the day, because the amount of blue light that's coming into my environment, literally it slowly increases from sunrise until when the sun is at its high point in the sky and then slowly decreases until there's no more at sunset. So it's the perfect timekeeper. So I've got these sensors for these blue light photons all over my body. And I'm no matter, depending on how many of those sensors are triggered tells the time of day, right? And it, all that information goes to like this master clock in my brain. And it literally communicates that to the rest of my cells. And so all my cellular tasks can sync up based on the amount of blue light in my environment, based on the time of day. And then the sun creeps up just a little bit higher. It, we, we would measure it as 10 degrees above the horizon, right? So a little bit higher. And then ultraviolet A comes and it's a whole nother cascade that happens, right? I start to uh, make neurotransmitters in my brain, like serotonin like dopamine. Uh, I, I start to make chemicals that make me feel more alert and focused like adrenaline and noradrenaline. Um, that's when I can actually start to make chemicals that can control various processes that my body needs. So if I have inflammation, I can make a chemical that controls inflammation. If I'm in pain, I can make beta endorphin, right? The runner's high chemical that makes us feel so good. And it's all in response to that morning ultraviolet light. And then lastly, the sun reaches 30 degrees above the horizon. And that's when ultraviolet B, and we all know UVB for vitamin D synthesis, but UVB is also really important for kind of balancing out my steroid hormone production, my sex hormone production. Um, and so, so that we get this hormone balance at an appropriate time of the day. And that's all just from literally when the sun is like below the horizon to here, right? It's so cool when you start to dive into it, that the layering on of the colors, it's, it's signals to my body to do different things. Oh, there's so much in there. <laughs> so <laughs> question. So you said before the sun has even broke the horizon, we've got red light. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So this morning to get to get up for this interview, I was awake before sunrise 
And then I've come into this room and I've put all, I've put on the computer, I've got my ring lights on. So there's all this artificial light. You look light. great. You look great, Jackie. That's what's going for. That is not the same whatsoever, right? Is is this a problem? Should, should I have gone outside? Even though sun's not up, still go outside for five, ten minutes and then get back in and then <laughs> then light up this place. The natural signals from light are always a powerful signal no matter the time of day that we go outside. So yes, um, mm. especially if you knew that you were going to kind of shoot your body full of artificial light here. Um, yeah, it's important. It, it absolutely is. So, uh, then I would really encourage you after this, go outside and tell your body what time of day it is. It ha- right. That's, and it, it is a problem when we do this day in and day out, like occasionally, no, no big deal, mm. but picture the number of us who wake up and we, that's what we do, right? We flood our house full of artificial light and then we're taught to then on our drive to work to put sunglasses on. So we kind of block the signals that are coming from nature, from the sun. And then we go into an office environment that's fluorescently lit for eight, nine hours. And then we drive home with our sunglasses on. And then we go into our house and make dinner. And then the sun sets. And again, you know, where I live in the middle of winter now, we're actually, we're getting into the middle of winter. We're in the middle of fall right now, but it's darker. And so we have, um, you know, sunset, let's say around of seven o'clock, I'm not going to go to bed at seven. So the majority of us just flood our house with light and we stare at an artificially lit television and then we go to bed and we're kind of wondering why we feel off, you know, why yes. things just don't feel right. And knowing what I know about light, I can really pinpoint, like, it's all about the light. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it was something that I experienced as well. I went from, I moved houses and I'm in, in a space where there's not a whole heap of natural light and I found when I was working all day indoors I just felt awful by the end of the day absolutely awful um I have to ask we so we've gone into daylight savings now and I found that I'll start early so I'm locking myself in this room and it's massage so it's a little bit um, dark as well (laughs) so I feel like that's kind of messing with me but anyway so I'll do this you know big day and then I'll go out and luckily our lounge area is just completely a floor to ceiling windows it's beautiful very light filled but I'll go out and because I've been all day in this kind of darkened room I then get out it's probably like four or five o'clock in the afternoon and then this light comes into my my brain my eyeballs and and I'm just like is this is this a good thing am I messing up what my like the signals like it's going into evening I should be like winding down but I feel like this is giving me energy is this is this wrong I mean I wouldn't say it's wrong but I you are getting those stimulating signals that you Mm. should have gotten in the morning right so I, I really encourage people if, if at all, they have the opportunity to spend as much time outside in the morning as possible, front load your light. Mm. 
you're going to get such a bigger bang for your buck when you get that, those morning light frequencies than you would, if you were to go outside then from four till 7 PM or whatever Mm. it might look like there, those are good. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're nice, but you need that energizing burst and you need that layering on of focus and, and energy in the morning that you're going to get so that, that, you know, if you are going to have a time where you're in either what I would call garbage lighting or artificial light or no lighting at all, or very dim, make it like, you know, let's say 11 until 11 till three, right. Or like, you know, like try to try to condense it and, but, and take little breaks, like a little work, little break, little work, little break and continue to sync yourself up. But those morning light frequencies are so important. I, I really, I had to restructure my life over the course of the past three years, yeah. just knowing what I know. Cause as a personal trainer, right. It was like, I owned a gym. I owned a gym and I was flipping on all these lights. You know, you're there at five o'clock in the morning and you're like, boot camp class, let's go, you know? And so then I started to um, be in the gym with my, with my like orange blue blockers on, but then the, there were still over overhead artificial lights and it just didn't sit well with me knowing what I knew about circadian rhythm. I'm just like, I, I got to shift things. I really have to. And it was a mm. huge leap, but gosh, my body feels amazing um, because of it. And I know that I feel like I, I feel like I'm allowed to now spread the message here. I think I'm It's like, okay, this is my mission now. I don't necessarily yes. need to own a gym anymore. I need to spread the word about light. Right. And this, the quantum healing. So, you know, consistency over perfection, Jackie, I'm not telling people that they have to live at their whole lives outside, but if we can prioritize those morning wavelengths of light, it's key. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, okay so when people are out there they've gone outside in the morning how long should they be spending out there it that depends on how you know for lack of a better word messed up someone's circadian rhythm is right you know if you if you feel like you're one of those people who uh doesn't want to fall asleep before midnight one two o'clock in the morning and you want to sleep in until hours after sunrise you got to spend a little more time out there. But what I've seen um, some of my tech executive clients and uh, just also from research on people who consider themselves night owls in the course of a three-day camping trip, they can recover their circadian rhythms, um, you know, 70% or more of their circadian rhythm. So it, it's like being di- very diligent for a short window of time. And then you, then you just got to do consistent little exposures, three minutes at sunrise, maybe a 20 minute walk when that UVA, when, when that UVA light is there and it, it, then it works for you. Your lighting is working for you. Yeah. Brilliant. And did you say, sorry, did you say it took three days to, to reset at a camping trip for a camping yeah. trip. Like if, 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 if someone's going to say, okay, I'm going to commit to this and have almost like a camp from home experience, never turn on a single light, you know, yeah, the weather okay. here is not great for that, but I encourage people in like June, right? June here, or, uh, maybe even June through September, just windows open, no lights on, allow the natural fluctuations to happen in your environment of light, you can sync right back up very quickly. Yeah. Brilliant. You mentioned the mitochondria. Let's break this down for those who are hearing it for the first time. What is it and why is it important for our bodies? You know, inside of all of our cells, our cells need energy, right? They need energy to function. And when cells can't make enough energy, then it's like a cell phone battery that's drained that we, it can last up to a point. The cell can function up to a point, 
But once a certain drainage of energy has happened, things are going to happen in my cell phone. The screen is going to dim. I'm not going to be able to download something, you know, a large file or a large video. I'm not going to be able to live stream anything. I can't use the flash on my camera. And so those are all things that the cell phone does to conserve energy, to make that battery energy last as long as possible. My cells have a hundred thousand things they're trying to accomplish every single second. And that's a lot of energy requirements. And as my energy production in the cell starts to drain and drain and drain and drain, there reaches a level where the cell has to say, I can't accomplish everything. I don't have enough energy to accomplish everything. I have to start picking and choosing. And then there reaches an, and so things start to shut down. It's like, okay, I'm not going to take care of that. I'm not going to tidy up these proteins in the same way, or I'm not going to worry about this particular signaling. Then you actually reach an even lower threshold where the cell can't meet energetic demands and you start to get symptoms. So you start to get this. So wherever the mitochondria are, are not producing enough energy. If it's in your brain, it could look like something like Alzheimer's disease. It could look like, uh, you know, in in your heart, it could look like uh, chronic heart or congestive heart failure in your, uh, muscles. It could just, it could just look like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. And so what we've given as a diagnosable disease is simply the area of your body in which the mitochondria aren't functioning to make enough energy for that tissue. And so mitochondria are of utmost importance because they're the ones that are responsible for really converting electrons into energy. Is there a way to tell if, I mean, besides these physical symptoms, is there a way to tell whether our mitochondria are in good health? In, in, uh, in a clinical lab research setting, they're, they're using a couple of different testing markers that are not available to the public yet. So I think we're close to being able to assess mitochondrial health, um, how fit our mitochondria are, if you will, but, uh, but not yet. So we really just have to go based on symptoms of things like fatigue or, or pain, or even stiffness actually is an indication that our mitochondria aren't working well. You know, I'm sure as a massage therapist, right. You, you've had, you've had those clients who come back and it's like, I'm always stiff here. I'm always stiff here in, in, in the process of making energy, the mitochondria make water. And so if a tissue isn't hydrated, like you can feel the, that dehydrated tissue, if it's the tissue's not hydrated, that's an area where the mitochondria aren't making water well enough. Well, I'm so excited to dive into this water part, but before we do red light therapy, Is this the same, I mean, obviously there's the red light you mentioned before sunrise, um, but is this as good as sunlight if if we're not able to get out there for any reason? Mm, Interesting. Nothing is as good as sunlight, right? Because when the sun has red and infrared, it also has other colors just in dimmer ways, right? So red sunlight always contains a bigger blend of colors. And when you get a red light therapy device, you're getting maybe two key wavelengths of red light and two key wavelengths of infrared, near infrared, which are beneficial, right? I think red light therapy is beautiful as a as a therapy, right? It's not a, it's not a substitute for going outside to set your circadian rhythm, but what we are lacking living indoors these days behind modern glass and under modern lighting, those things block or are deficient in the red light and the infrared. 
which we now know we, if my mitochondria are basically starving for those frequencies, uh, red light therapy can be very beneficial, uh, especially, you know, in the, for the whole body or like spot treated on a tissue, um, to support mitochondrial health and mitochondrial energy production, just because living indoors, we don't have access to those frequencies in the same way we would, if we were living outside. Okay. And we said that mitochondria health, if they're starving of light, we need to go outside. Yeah. Yeah. We, we basically going outside is the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. But my mitochondria require a couple of key inputs and they make a couple of key outputs, right? For this. So the, the things that the mitochondria make for us that we've already talked about, they make uh, water, they make something that, that most people would call our main energy currency. I don't, but it's uh, ATP. So they make water, they make ATP. The mitochondria also make carbon dioxide that we breathe out, but we do other things with it. And the mitochondria make infrared light as well. The inputs so that the mitochondria can make that are the mitochondria need electrons, red light photons, and oxygen, right? So we have to make sure we're breathing in oxygen and delivering it to the mitochondria. Mitochondria need electrons. Mitochondria need the red light photons to be as efficient as possible at basically making those outputs. When we have all of that working, it's a beautiful thing, right? The cell is as energetically favorable as possible. When, when, it, when we're lacking in those things, or we're actually doing things that maybe harm our mitochondria, because there's substances in this planet that are toxic to mitochondria. When, we, when we're exposed to those things as well, we're going to be low on the output. And when we're low on the output, that can look like a lot of different things in terms of mitochondrial dysfunction and diseases or symptoms that can manifest. Mm, yes. Okay. So let's talk about water because obviously that is very important to mitochondrial health. Um, what What are the basics that we need to, we need to know? Okay. So the basics are we've all heard we have to be hydrated, right? Like we all heard like you got to be hydrated, drink plenty of water. And I actually argue that yes, the water we drink is very important but it's more important to understand the water that our mitochondria make. That is true intracellular hydration, true deep, deep hydration. That water is so amazing because the water inside of our bodies is different than water in a glass, right? Like water in a glass sloshes around. It's like this mm -hmm. liquid structure. And most of us, again, what, what this goes back away, away. So I don't know when the first time I learned that water can exist as a liquid, a solid and a gas, but water can also now we know inside of our bodies exist in a fourth phase that has been called many names. It's been called structured water. It's been called uh, exclusion zone or easy water. Um, it's been called interfacial water, but what you need to know about it is that the water inside of our body organizes and structures it, the oxygens and the hydrogens in a way that actually provides our body with energy. Okay. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> I can go on. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think, I think. I think we need to it provides okay that kind of makes sense in terms of the energy but then does it because if, me, I, I feel like it flips everything I've also learned 
It has, right. I have had to do such an unlearning process throughout all this. And, you know, at first you're like, what the heck is this person talking about? And then you're like, oh, it kind of makes sense. And then you're just like, it's like, you just kind of stare at the wall and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) light bulb moment. It's like my whole life. I've been (laughs) lying. I know, exactly. (laughs) And so, so here's the deal, right? If everyone knows water as being H2O, um, very simple molecule and Honestly, what's crazy is that if you were to count, if you were to line up literally every molecule in a, in a body, 99 out of every hundred molecules would be water. Water is so integral, right? It's, and we've been studying when I was an undergrad and in, even in grad school, I was literally studying the one molecule, like the, the, the macro molecule, the protein, the important ones. And we completely ignored all the water. And now we know it's the water that drives the show. The water is the most important. And so here's how, right? Water in a glass is H2O. And what I liken it to is you have one oxygen and then you got two little hydrogens attached to it. And when you look at, if you were to take, take water in a liquid, in a glass and look at it under kind of like a molecular microscope, you'd see these H2O molecules interacting with other H2O molecules, almost kind of like a random nightclub. It's like, I'm dancing with this person. I'm dancing with that person. I'm going to bump into this person, going to bump into that person, you know? And so that's water in a glass. It's pretty random arrangement of the molecules, but water inside of our bodies, the H's and the O's organize themselves into hexagons. And they keep, a so picture almost like a very rigid dance, right? Where it's like these molecules know exactly where they need to go and they're kind of shifting. So I'm kind of holding hands with other molecules in a circle and making a hexagon and I'm kind of shifting back and forth, but I'm structured. I have order and structure. I can't be all wiggly dance with this partner, dance with that partner. I have to stay in my structure. And in order to form these rings, these, these ring shaped structures inside of our bodies, they have to kick out a hydrogen. And so when they kick out that hydrogen, it actually transforms the charge of water, which in a glass, it's neutral. Water doesn't have a negative or a positive charge water in our bodies. When we kick out that hydrogen, it becomes negatively charged. And the hydrogen, I say the hydrogen feels left out. So they line up right along the edge of the dancers, these structured dancers, and they just sit there and hydrogen is, it's basically a proton. Hydrogen is the most simple atom on the periodic table. It's, it's basically just a proton. It's positively charged. So you have this structured, negatively charged water and this proton lineup right next to it. If you were to take little what are called electrodes and put them into the negative charged uh, structured zone and the positively charged proton zone, you'd light up a light bulb. So you have potential energy in that. And this water structure and this water battery forms everywhere in the body that there is a hydrophilic or water loving surface, which is every protein membrane molecule organelle it's everywhere in other words so that's the energy in our body and it's from the water structuring itself into a battery that was so beautifully explained i'm getting tears in my eyes <laughs> honestly that was just brilliant and i love how you say like you know we've been focusing on those macros the protein and it's like well we all know that you can you can stop eating for you know, whatever it is, weeks or something, but stop drinking water and your body just won't survive. Exactly. (laughs) So exactly. Wow. That was perfectly explained. I love that analogy. 
and I'm going to use that forever. (laughs) Right. So can we, so here in Adelaide, we are renowned for our not so nice drinking water, tap water. It's safe, obviously, but it's not great. Um, And so obviously that's been uh, treated so we can drink it. But I've heard the term hard water and soft water. What does this mean and and what does that mean for our body and our, you know, that cellular process? You know, the water that we drink is, is very important as well because Mm. it, we, we will absorb it. It will become part of the blood fluid. It'll become part of the, the lymphatic fluid, the water that goes in and then becomes structured water next to cells. Like on the outside of the cells, we have this, this structured water. So it is very important. Now here's the deal. Water in nature this is the journey that water in nature takes. And I hope that comparison between water in nature that we would get from like a natural spring versus what we do to our water now. And I'm I'm hoping it's going to become kind of glaringly obvious. Water in nature goes through a complete hydrological cycle. It basically gets, goes under the earth. It's deep in the earth. And as it's down there, it has to kind of push and weave its way up. It weaves, it, it weaves around rocks and different mineral layers. And then it comes all, you know, it comes up higher and higher and it weaves. And then it's going to, in the process, sometimes it goes down, you know, a little stream, right? In an ocean or a stream. And then there, it's under the light of the sun. It's feel, it feels the pull of the moon with the tide, right? Water in nature imbibes itself with all of the trace minerals found on planet earth, all of the minerals. And in the process of kind of making its way up to the surface and eventually getting to a source where it's able to be be, be, uh, consumed, it also picks up frequency information. It picks up the, the, um, all of the different lunar cycles, it picks up all of the different solar spectrum, all the different, all the different wavelengths of light and frequency that have been on the earth. And we, then when it comes to us, we drink water that's really been both rich in minerals and imprinted with healing information. Um, you, people have studied even like these healing springs and these healing rivers, like, you know, Lourdes, for example, these, these holy sites. And they found that this water, when you actually uh, flash freeze it under a microscope, it, it, you can look at it. It creates what are called these beautiful coherent crystals. You, you are flash freezing pretty much the, uh, the, the dancers in their, in their, in their um, configuration, like frozen in, in time and they're striking their best pose possible. Whereas if you were to flash freeze water that we push through pipes and we've treated with chemicals to get rid of the uh, bacteria to, we filtered out some of the toxins, not all. We don't want you to complain about what your hair looks like. So we might add different minerals like back in mineral salts and things into it. We pressure push it down right angle pipes, you know, from these and force it into this, uh, you know, wading pool essentially. And then it comes out the faucet. That water, when it's flash frozen, doesn't form any, it, it doesn't form any organization at all. It really just looks like a blob, if you will. It looks mm-hmm. like, you know, you're like, if you were to look down at a, uh, 
at a club <laughs> and you just see no rhyme or reason as opposed to if you were to look at the nutcracker ballet where everyone is kind of in a perfect position in relationship with each other and so the water that we need to drink is that that structured organized coherent imprinted imbibed mineral rich water that comes from nature whereas water that's been gone through the a municipal treating system it really experiences trauma. And mm. I never would have said that if I hadn't studied water this deeply, but it does to the extent that water actually remembers when it's been forced through right angles. There's research that shows it knows when, because water in nature never takes right angles. It meanders and curves and swirls. It doesn't get pressure pushed. And so the water that we drink, if we drink it straight out of the tap, yes. Is it safe for human consumption? I, I, I would assume so. Yes, very much so. Is it necessarily the type of water that really imbibes our body with hydration and minerals and information? No. <laughs> that is so interesting and so interesting that you've, you've used the term trauma. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, I mean, I want to ask, how does the water know that it's been through this? And secondly, it, the, the the experiment popped into my head where people have put, you know, water in two jars and on one jar it's got written really positive affirmations and on the other jar it's negative. Oh, no, sorry, that's not water. It's It's an apple. It's an apple in a jar. But apples are water. Apples <laughs> are full of water. It's the water. The water water imprints memory. This is not, um, this is, I mean, there's tons of research on this. Um, it's, it's the basis for homeopathy, frankly, but water, water has a memory. It, it can memorize frequencies and it knows what's happening. It's in, in its environment. Oh, that's so woo to say, right? Like I'm such a science brain and it's so woo to say, but it's so true to the extent that, um, you know, a researcher named Masaru Emoto, he, he put three jars of rice soaked in water on a shelf. And every morning he would say something to each jar. The first jar, I love you. The second jar, you disgust me. And he ignored the third jar. After months, right, of, kind of, of doing that on a daily basis, this first jar made beautiful fermented rice water and almost like a vinegar rice water, smelled beautiful. It was bubbling up, meaning it was rich in probiotic bacteria that were just, you know, really culturing this rice beautifully. The middle one rotted, the one the one that he had said, you disgust me, and the other one just turned black. It just, it, the one that he ignored. So it's the water that's picking up frequency. And what is frequency? Well, frequency, sure, it can be the sun, but it could be words, thoughts, emotions. All of those things are just varying frequencies, varying vibrations, and the water picks those up. Hence why I'm a firm believer in positive self-talk. I don't just think it's like, oh yeah, I'm great. I don't, I don't just think it's like a, a, you know, a thing. I think that I'm truly structuring and influencing the water network of my body. And it matters, right? That matters because it makes a body that much more what we in the quantum world will call coherent and functioning and, and just, just well able to move energy and to, to uh, imbibe it with information. And that's what the body wants. So water is amazing. <laughs> That, that was incredible. Yes. Words, language, thoughts matter. It all matters. They do. And there's, and there's enough experimentation with water that has shown that to be true. 
um, you know, even just uh, other ones. I don't know if you're familiar, but Veda, I don't know. Do you know Veda Austin? And please forgive me. I, she's either in Australia or New Zealand, and I'm certain that that's <laughs> the horrible thing to say. Please forgive me. <laughs> or she's from there originally. Um, I think she lives in the States now, but she actually teaches courses in something called water crystallography, where she teaches you, she take, you take a Petri dish of water and you set it on a picture from a book, or you think a thought, or you write a word, and then you flash freeze it. And the water will show you a very, it, it's representation of what it saw in its environment. And you look at it the first couple of times, you're like, yeah, that could be anything. You see the thousands of studies that have been done and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. That is incredible. So could we potentially huh, <laughs> heal the water that's been treated before it enters yeah. our body? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, so that's what I encourage people to do as a worst case scenario, you have to imprint that water with love. You have to imbibe it with love. You have to give it a new memory basically, because what it knows is it, it, it was traumatized and it has to feel love so that you can imbibe yourself with that frequency. I know of a woman who was kind of at her wits end for her health journey and she hated herself. She hated herself. And one day she woke up and she decided that she was just going to start to um, imbibe love into her water, but she had no love for herself. The only love she could give to the water was the love that she had for her spouse and her kids. And so she did. She just thought about how much she loved them before she drank this glass of water and she drank it and fell violently ill. She writhed and screamed and she just felt like her body was releasing just this stored, pent up trauma, shame, anger, frustration. It was just kind of starting to move in her body. Um, and she, she was like, Whoa, <laughs> you know, like that's, that was a reaction. <laughs> and she, so she knew something was happening and she did it every single time. Uh, she drank water to the extent that, you know, months later she started loving herself and was able to imbibe her own love into the water. All of her physical ailments went away. Um, it just became like this beautiful, glorious, loving uh, human being who loved herself, loved her family, loved her life. And it was because she literally imbibed love into the water mm. that she drank. Well, there's a perfect message right there. <clears throat> um, so what happens if we're not doing this to our water? Like how does our body adapt to drinking water that is not, not structured um, or, and, and we could go as far as to say, not quite getting the light that we need either. Well, with the water that is not structured, I mean, tap, tap water has a couple of issues. Number one, it still has toxins in it, right? I don't know about, I, I like you said, yours not, isn't necessarily the best drinking water here in Kalamazoo. We don't have the best drinking water either it's, it's, it's free of bacteria, but you know, every five years or so you hear, oh yeah, PFAS, the forever chemical was found in the water or, uh, you know, chloramines or something, another, another chemical was found in the water. And while it's not, it's not immediately toxic, those do contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. Those sorts of chemicals that we can find in our drinking water can certainly cause the mitochondria to suffer. And then in terms of the drinking water, if, if, if it's not, even if it's not structured, that's, that's okay. Like we can survive, but what I think happens, the, the majority of us have experienced some form of trauma or another throughout our lives. And 
that holds itself as a memory and it stores itself in the structured water as a memory in our body. And when we, when we are around something else traumatic, it's almost like if we, if, if we've experienced a trauma and then you hear about a similar trauma on the news, or you read about a similar trauma in the paper, it almost reactivates things for you, right? Traumatized water doesn't do anything for helping those, those trauma, the trauma, because it's holding an energetic frequency of fear and pain. You know, I, I can't speak for the water, maybe, maybe anger, who knows, right? But I don't think it's beneficial because the body works on resonance. The body works on, on almost like a tuning fork effect where literally every single one of my cells and all the molecules, they're all vibrating a certain frequency and certain frequencies. They, once they vibrate the right frequency, all the other molecules in the body that need to hear that frequency, hear it. Just as if I were to strike this tuning fork here, all the other tuning forks tuned to that, that, that note would also start to resonate in the room. My body is the same way. And we can actually, we now, now know in train or strengthen certain tuning forks with sounds of nature. So being by running water or being by an ocean or hearing bird song, all of those things can actually strengthen the key frequencies that my cells need, my molecules need, my cell receptors and proteins need. But the, the opposite is also true. If I have things, cells that are dysfunctional, receptors that are dysfunctional, and I add more dysfunctional vibrations onto it, I can strengthen that resonance. Mm. And so, you know, is it something that's going to, am I going to wake up tomorrow if I drink my tap water and have a ma massive issue? No. But is it overall contributing to potentially a lack of healing or a lack of feeling great or feeling like I'm thriving or a lack of positivity? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the problem at the end of the day, isn't it? There are so many instances and myself included where I've gone, I feel awful, but I can't pinpoint a certain thing that's done it. It's just this process that's happened over time. And yeah, all of these, I, I used to be a big tap drinker, um, you know, cause it was easy and convenient and uh, yeah. And there was just so much in my life happening. And I just thought, I feel awful. <laughs> doing wrong <laughs> yeah um, but I, I also have to ask so we're, we're talking a lot about the water that we consume what about what about the at the external our external environment in terms of like obviously yes the tap water as we wash our hands but also that we shower in as well like that's is that having the same sort of um impact on on our body as the the water we drink Yes and no. I mean, we will, if there's toxins in that tap water, we will absorb some of them through the skin. So mm -hmm. in and of itself, we can cre create a more toxic burden in our body by bathing in water that still has chlorine, PFAS, you know, endocrine disruptors, things like that. Um, so yes, more likely to absorb those things as we immediately ingest it. So I would always say drinking that water is way more, uh, has the potential to be way, way more negatively impactful than bathing in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important to understand that water matters mm. and, and, and we do what we can, you know, so layer, layer on little things and do what we can. But I also am a firm believer that fear and this idea of perfectionism is equally unattainable and, and, and not as not healthy. So knowledge, just knowing is an interesting thing because then we can start to shift little bitty habits or little things. I look back on my 10 year health journey and it's like, 
oh my gosh, I've changed so much. I literally filled like four notebook papers pages with stuff that I've changed and shifted. And if I would, would have given that to myself 10 years ago, I'd have been like, there's no way I'm not even starting. I'm failing before I even Mm -hmm. begin. Right. And so I think we have to look at it as like little 2% shifts, little changes here and there that, that add up and they accumulate and they start to, you start to reach this tipping point. And for me, light was a massive tipping point. Water was a massive tipping point in my healing journey. And now it's just like, I want to do all these things because I feel so good. Exactly. It's that feeling, isn't it? And you are a walking advertisement for all of this because I know you said you you had a child 11 years ago now and you look like you're 20. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. So thank you. you. (laughs) You're doing all the right things. So we we too can look (laughs) I appreciate that. My, I, I have, I have three children and they would say otherwise. They, they, they'd what like, do they know? You're so old. Mom. It's like, that's based on the music I like. Okay. I don't think exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, you mentioned chlorine and this just popped into my head. Swimmers who are spending hours in the pool from a very young age as well. What, could, what is this doing? It's, it's, it, from the quantum world, it changes water's electrical carrying capacity. Water, we we conduct electricity through this water in our bodies and chlorine starts to disrupt that. Chlorine also competes in with other places in the body that use iodine. So thyroid function can start Mm -hmm. to be impacted. Um, A process called apoptosis, which is programmed cell death which is an important thing. If a cell thinks that, oh my goodness, I'm starting to proliferate uncontrollably, the cell has a program it can run to kind of just get rid of itself for the better, the betterment of the tissue. Um, iodine is needed for that. Iodine is needed for estrogen receptor, appropriate estrogen receptor signaling. So for hormonal based cancers, you're looking at like, you're like, wait a second. So, um, you know, it's just another place where we could be exposed to toxins and just mm. have to be aware of it. Right. We just have to be aware of it. Now, if my, I, I don't know, it's a hard question. Cause if one of my kids came to me and they're like, mom, I love swimming. I want to be a competitive swimmer. I want to swim every day of my life. I don't think I would stop them because I think that passion and that love and that drive and the competitiveness and the teamwork and the ability to, you know, set a goal and accomplish it. I think all of those can help to structure the water in our body to almost withstand consequences from excessive fluorine or I'm sorry, chlorine fluoride too, but chlorine. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's not an all or nothing. I think it's a case by case situation and you kind of have to look at it like that. And then maybe look at other areas of your life where you can support your healing journey in a way that, you know, you're not providing more toxins into your body. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about that for a moment? Like, what would that look like for the swimmers out there who are like, okay, I, I need to incorporate something else into my life to kind of, um, help what that's doing, uh, uh, you know? Well, then I'm always a fan of things like the red light therapy. I think the red light therapy Mm. can be a very good way to support mitochondrial health, uh, can support, uh, certain antioxidant production in the body really key. Like our our mitochondria makes melatonin inside of our cells. It's not the pineal melatonin, it's cellular melatonin, which can kind of soak up a reactive oxygen species or inflammation. 
sauna. I'm a fan of sauna uh, because I think that people can use it to really start to sweat out a lot of the toxins that we're exposed to. And then in a situation like that, knowing iodine is so key, I would just make sure that they're eating, consuming adequate sources of iodine rich foods like seafood, seaweed, those sorts of things to help support that, that iodine process in the body. Yeah. Brilliant. You've, I've read this in the past. Uh, I forget where I found it. It was, it was from you. It might've been on your website or you may have said it and I'd love for you to break it down for us. Sure. The fuel yeah. doesn't matter if the engine is broken. I yeah, really love absolutely. this. Can you explain what you mean by that? Sure. So mitochondria, they're like engines, right? They, they basically combust electrons or they convert electrons into energy. And we, you know, being a trained nutritionist, the, the nutrition world is all about eat this, don't eat that, do this diet, don't do that diet, count these macros, glucose, bad, glucose, good, fat, bad, fat, good. And I say, none of it matters until your electrons can use, I'm sorry, until your mitochondria can use what those foods broke, break down into, which is electrons and can transform those electrons into energy. So I think it's foolish to really, to, to kind of attach yourself to one diet plan or one nutrition mantra, if your mitochondria aren't functioning at their best anyways. So I always say, you have to fix your engines first. And the analogy that I also like to use to drive this home is picture having two different cars, right? Two Ferraris, even like two super fancy cars. Um, one of them has a broken engine. We know that Ferraris run on premium gasoline, right? They need the top of the line fuel to go to, you know, inside of their engines. And so it doesn't matter if you put top of the line gasoline into that Ferrari with the broken engine, that car is not gonna work for you, right? You're not gonna drive from point A to point B. Now picture the second car. Uh, the, the engine is immaculate, right? It is well-tuned. It's gotten every single you know tune-up it needed from the dealership. And you drive up to a gas station and all it has is the lowest class of gasoline. Guess what? You put that low class gasoline into that car, it's still going to run. It's still going to take you from point A to point B. Using bad gasoline in the long run might ultimately create more damage in the engine, right? It might wear it down, but in the meantime, it's going to take you where you need to go. So where you're when your mitochondria are really really efficient, you can actually eat more garbage foods even. And I don't recommend it, but you can, because you can handle it. You can handle bad fuel. If you've got really good mitochondria, if you've got bad mitochondria, your fuel, it's really arbitrary at that point, because your mitochondria can, are going to uh, be inefficient at creating energy, no matter what. Mm. But at the end of the day, you still need that good fuel, right? Cause longevity wise, yep. Well, at the end of the day, absolutely. Right. Mm. Absolutely. You need it because in the process of eating good fuel, you're also, like you said, turning on more longevity genes, you're avoiding the inflammatory reaction that can happen when you eat processed foods, mm. uh, fried foods and stuff like that. But it really just drives home the, that I just find the arguments a bit short-sighted, right? Like the diet arguments, just a bit short-sighted at first, because yes, the, in the perfect world, what we're doing is we're fixing those engines so that they're immaculate and we're giving them the right fuel. 
And that right there is like, you're, you're driving the best Ferrari possible and it's not going to break down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I loved this so much um, because there've been many times where in my life, I thought I was doing the right thing, consuming the right amount of water and, you know, a diet that's really good. But I just felt like my body wasn't taking to any of it. I felt like I was constantly on the toilet wing it all out and nothing was just being absorbed. And I still felt awful. So this is such an important message. And so you would say, or could we say that getting your sunlight and drinking structured water Getting some, so the, the best things you can do for those mitochondrial Mm. engines and for your circadian rhythm and body in general is getting that sunlight, drinking as best quality water as you can, and then being in a frequency environment that's dominated by, by things like love and the sounds of nature and uh, gratitude and joy and laughter and, and nice music, music that makes you feel good, you know? as opposed to unfortunately what we're around the majority of the time, which is the buzz of fluorescent lights, a Wi-Fi router right next to us, and maybe a construction site that's, you know, they're, they're doing construction on the highway down the road. Um, mm. We kind of have to just flip everything, flip all that on its head and understand that am I, we may still have the Wi-Fi router. Let's turn off the artificial light. Let's put on music that makes us happy. Let's talk with a coworker that brings us joy as opposed to a coworker that's always trying to gossip and really understand what our frequency environment is like too. That's quite hilarious because everything you mentioned is happening or was happening where we're living right now. <laughs> got the lights, we've got the router, there's construction right outside <laughs> on the road, drilling, ripping up the concrete. It's just like, oh, goodness. but that's gone now. So things are feeling better. Uh, yeah, but they do feel better, don't totally. they? Totally. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely. You don't realize it until it's gone though. Like, exactly. It's like you can, you can push through humans are so good at adapting. Mm-hmm. We can push through, but it's, it's not, it's not until it's gone that you realize how much better you could be yes. feeling. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Carrie, this has been sensational and I could pick your brain for hours. <laughs> we won't do that to you. <laughs> how can people find out more about you and your work? Cause I know you've got some incredible resources on your website as well. Yes. So the best way, if you want, if you like this stuff, Instagram is a really good place to, to, you know, get started. I post there all the time and I just little like, you know, it's well, not little for Instagram. I take up the full caption, if you will, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but little for me, because I could write for days on this stuff, but it's a really good place to start connecting the dots between light and how to use light and the water and the mitochondria and earthing and all those getting back into nature, all this stuff that I think is so important. Um, so, so following me on Instagram, Carrie B wellness. And then, um, I do in, uh, in my Instagram profile, I've got my link tree. It's loaded, right? I I've got, uh, courses that I, a course that I teach. If you want to apply this in your life, I've got what I call my signature course, uh, quantum foundations. And so that's a great place to dive into how to use all this information. You'll, you'll, I will still teach you some science cause it's me. I can't just skip a little of the science. I can't just skip the science. Um, and then I've also teach a, a certification course for practitioners, um, people who are doing exactly what you're doing. You're a massage therapist or someone who's a chiropractor or does traditional Chinese medicine. And it's just about understanding how this makes what you currently do that much more successful. And so there's also information about that as well. 
That's amazing. I'll be looking into that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, so I know we've only just scratched the surface and I'm, I'm so appreciative of your time today. This was sensational. For those who want to apply something straight away after they've finished listening to this episode, what can they do that's really simple and easy to, to do right now? Go for a morning walk, even if it's 10 minutes, as many days a week as you can. Brilliant. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Oh, thank you, Jackie. I've had a blast chatting with you. I appreciate it. That was Carrie Bennett, quantum biologist and overall incredible human. And one thing that blew my mind was the red light before sunrise. Now, my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and it's still dark and my brain's like, well, there's no light, so there's no benefit of getting up right now, which <laughs> is what I'm telling myself so that I can stay in my bed cozy and sleepy. But in saying that, I'm really glad to learn that getting up and getting out there even before sunrise is super beneficial and important to our body and cellular health. So Unfortunately, there are no more excuses for me, <laughs> but I would love to know what your takeaways were and what you feel you need to change in your routine, because it's so easy to think that we have everything covered and thought out. And sometimes it only takes one simple little tweak and change that can have a profound effect. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and takeaways from today's episode. If you loved this episode, tell everyone you know so they too can reap the benefits of sunlight and structured water. And if you feel like it, I would really appreciate it if you gave this episode a review because it really does help get this important information out to people just like you. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm truly grateful for you. Take care, stay awesome, and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.